ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. If you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 960. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 26. It's also, you can find it in your bulletin there too, if you're taking notes with us today. And as you're turning there, how many people have heard of the missionary Jim Elliott before? All right, several of you. Or at least his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, she's written numerous books. There's been a movie about his life, Jim Elliott, uh, called Into the Spear. Uh, she wrote a book about him and these f- four other missionaries and their wives that went down to Ecuador to uh, reach a, a tribe that had never heard the gospel, and they ended up getting speared. Well, that man has probably inspired tens of thousands of missionaries, But do you know the story that inspired Jim Elliot to become a missionary? The guy's name is uh, David Brainerd. David Brainerd lived about 300 years ago. He only lived to be 29 years old, and he was only a Christian for eight of those years. He was only a missionary for four of those years, but I can't think of, I I can think of a few other people that the ripple effect of their life has impacted more, than, uh, more for the kingdom than his life has. It's pretty remarkable the number of people who have been impacted by him. And so he was converted at age 21. He was actually kicked out of Yale Divinity School because somebody overheard him say something about his tutor. I think they, he said something like... My tutor's got less grace than a chair or something like that. And somebody overheard him, and he tried to ask forgiveness. He tried to make it right, but it was of no use. They kicked him out. And he was top of his class, by the way, but they still would not let him back into the school. And so that slip of the tongue changed the course of his life forever. And he was called by God then to go into the wilderness and suffer and trying to reach the American Indians. So he spent four years doing that. Now, he was a man who struggled constantly with physical ailments. In fact, soon after he was converted as a believer, he began to cough up blood, and the symptoms only got worse over the next eight years before he eventually died. In his journal, he wrote about the physical pain that he just endured on a regular basis to the point where there were some nights he couldn't even think straight. The, the physical torment was so bad that Jonathan Edwards wrote about it. Jonathan, he actually died in the home of Jonathan Edwards in 1747. He was in extreme agony during that time. And the combined torment and the, the living conditions of just being in the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine uh, back 300 years ago, it's not like they had conveniences like we have today. And there's nobody around him either. He, he had no Christians to talk to or, or lean on, and it's no wonder that he felt some despair. Uh, he suffered from constant depression. In his journal, he talks about the loneliness, but he also wrote this in his journal. He said, such fatigues and hardship as these serve to wean me more from this earth, and I trust will make heaven the sweeter. Formerly, when I was thus exposed to cold and rain, etc., I was ready to please myself with the thoughts of enjoying a comfortable house, a warm fire, other outward comforts. 
but now these have less place in my heart. Through the grace of God, and my eye is more to God for comfort. In this world, I expect tribulation, and it does not now, as formerly, appear strange to me. I don't in such seasons of difficulty flatter myself that it will be better hereafter, but rather think how much worse it might be, how much greater trials other, than, other of God's children have already endured, and how much greater are yet perhaps reserved for me. Blessed be God that He is the comfort to me under my sharpest trials, and scarce ever lets these thoughts be attended by, with terror or melancholy, but they are attended frequently with great joy. I think it's remarkable that in the midst of this awful, terrible calling that he's received, that he still is able to find joy. And it's because that he was faithful to that call, that he never gave up, that he pressed on, that he was able to inspire thousands upon thousands to go to the, the worst parts of the world to be able to share the gospel. You look in his journals and you just see this man who is utterly passionate and consumed and fueled by prayer and fasting so that he wanted nothing more than just to be able to share the gospel with these American Indians. After his death, Jonathan Edwards was so impacted by his life that he, he published a book of, it was basically his journals, uh, Brainerd's Journals, and that book has actually become Edwards' most popular book. It's been reprinted more than any of his other books, by far. And people like Jim Elliott, but not just him, William Carey, Robert Morrison, John Mills, Frederick Schwartz, David Livingston, Andrew Murray, all, and countless others have gone to crazy places to share the gospel because of this man's journal. You see, David Brainerd, he recognized that Jesus is worth our everything. That Jesus doesn't just call us to admire him from afar. He recognizes that the only thing Jesus asks of you is everything you got. Which brings us to our passage today. And so we're starting in verse 23, but you've got to know the context of what's going on here. And to know the context, you just have to look back one verse. Look at verse 22, and you see that Jesus, for the first time, has just predicted his own suffering, his own rejection, his own, his own death, and his own resurrection. And so he predicts that to his disciples, and then he turns and he says this in verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we read these words, I am so convicted that it is impossible for us to embrace this passage, this calling apart from from a miracle of your spirit. 
And so I pray that you would help me speak the truth, not water it down. I pray that we, that our hearts would be softened to receive it and challenged by it. That you would make your church an unstoppable force for your kingdom because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus just demands three simple things from this passage, right? Three simple things, just this. Nothing more than, if you're going to come after me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. So what do these three things mean? Let's break them down one by one. Deny yourself. What does it, Jesus mean by you need to deny yourself? Well, very simply, it means that you need to be able to say no to yourself and yes to God. Jesus modeled this in the garden, right? When he says, not my will, but your will be done. He denied his right as being, as being God. He denied his rights and he came to earth as a human to die in your place for your sins. Paul said Jesus emptied himself. And we, we love to think of this idea of denying ourselves, and we water it down all the time. We, we, we look at it as, well, I'm choosing a Diet Coke rather than a regular Coke. I'm, I'm denying myself. That's kind of how we, we look at it. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny myself. I'm going to wake up early so that I can, I can work out. But I think Jesus has something a little bit more heavy in mind when he says this, especially as you look at the context right before this. He has just predicted his own suffering, his own rejection, his own death. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, look, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to pick up your cross, your instrument of death and follow me. This is way bigger than choosing a Diet Coke over a regular Coke. Jesus is calling you to, de to deny your self-preservation. He's calling you to, to deny your self-exaltation, the things that just come naturally to us. All of us want to be comfortable. All of us want, want to be affirmed. He's saying deny your, your sense of your desire to be comfortable, to be ease, to have things come easy to you. D deny your desire to have security and safety. Deny your desire for the world's affirmation. He's calling you to fully submit to him and to really declare war on your own ego. He's calling you to say, look, I love Jesus more than I love humans' approval or honor or comfort or even life itself. I'm, I'm ready to endure opposition and rejection and shame and suffering, whatever it takes. Which leads us to the second requirement, which is really just the same coin. It's the second side of the same coin. He, he says to them, pick up your cross daily. Think about the cross. It was an extraordinary form of torture by the Romans. It represented both physical pain, but also a, an emotional shame. You were stripped naked. You were raised up on a cross so that everybody could see you nailed there. Everybody could condemn you that way. And if you 
died because of crucifixion. You didn't bleed out because you've been nailed to the cross. You died because of suffocation, because for every breath, for you to be able to breathe, you had to push yourself up. And you can imagine the pain every breath would take as the nails just cut through your, your tendons and your, your, uh, your muscles and hits your nerves. Perry, you got just a little small sense of what that feels like when, you, when something's not right and something's dislocated just a little bit. Can you imagine every breath is like breaking your leg again and again and again and eventually your muscles just wear out and you stop trying to breathe and you just give up and if it takes too long, they just break your legs to speed up the process. It was awful. And again, we tend to water this idea of picking up your cross. We, we water it down and we, we, we look at, maybe you've got a friend who's dealing with a difficult work situation and they've got a, maybe a, just a difficult boss or an annoying coworker. And we say things to them like, gosh, that's a, that's a difficult, that's a heavy cross to bury. But I, I don't think Jesus has in mind here the common struggles that all of us have on a daily basis because we live in a fallen world. The cross is an extraordinary form of, of suffering. To pick up your cross is to embrace an extraordinary suffering, an extraordinary rejection, shame, and even death itself if necessary. And Luke adds the word daily to emphasize that this is something that we should expect continually. It's amazing we don't preach about this more often. The New Testament is filled. Every single book in the, in the New Testament is filled with these warnings to the followers of Christ about persecution. I don't have time to read all of them to you. Let me just give you a snapshot of a few. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people hate you, Jesus says. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. John 15, 20. Remember the, the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. 1 Peter 4, 12. Peter picked this up. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Romans 8, 16, and 17, Paul said, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We love that part, right? We put that on a mug. But we forget the next part of the verse. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you. In other words, it has been a gift given by God to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So who? All. Again, Hebrews 13.12-13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. One more, 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
And because of these warnings, the New Testament church, the first century church is just amazing. You study it, and you're just, I mean, it, it blows my mind what they had to go through, what they had to, and it's a, remarkable that the church made it out of the first century and is here today still. But it's because they had this mentality. Paul sums it up, uh, Philippians 8, 8 through 11. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." I mean, this just blows your mind if you think about it. This mentality made the New Testament church unstoppable. You see this, Acts 5, uh, 40 and 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And this is the response of the disciples. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Francis Chan, in the book that we're reading right now in our, in our Sunday morning book study and cross-training, he, he points out that, I mean, just think about this. Think about, I mean, this is ridiculous that they would think this way. But this is what, what made them unstoppable. He says, think about that. How are you going to stop a people like that? We kill them, they're happier. We torture them, they walk away rejoicing. We can't stop them. They get stronger through persecution. And so Jesus calls us to, calls you to pick up your cross. He calls his disciples to pick up their cross. And you know what? That's what sparked an unstoppable force. And in every generation, the churches that embrace this become that same unstoppable force and the, the gospel is spread. You see, throughout church history, the gospel, the gospel is spread not in spite of persecution, but because of persecution. In fact, I've heard some theologians say that persecution is God's primary strategy to spread his mission to the ends of the earth. So if you want to follow him, that's the third command he says. If you want to follow him, what does that mean? Well, it means to deny yourself. It means to pick up your cross. And so this means, look, you can't just say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior, but I really don't want you as my Lord. It doesn't work that way. That would be like me coming to your house, knocking on the door, and you inviting me in, but you say something weird like, okay, young, you can come in, but Nathan, mm, you got to stay outside. Right? It doesn't work that way. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It's not like the top half of my body is Nathan and the bottom half is, is young. Okay? If, you, if you don't want Nathan, you can't have young either. Same with Jesus. I mean, you, you can't say to Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, answer my prayers, but you know what? I don't really want you to be the absolute master of my life. In other words, Jesus, come in as my Savior, but don't come in as my Lord. He can't do that. He is both Savior 
and Lord. To follow him is to submit fully to him, to go where he goes. And where did he go? He went to the cross. To embrace suffering, it means. It means to embrace rejection and even death if necessary. But also to follow him means that you don't do it alone. If you're following him, you're with him, and he promises to be there until the very end. He promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so to embrace the cross doesn't mean you do it alone. In fact, here in this passage, he gives his disciples very good reasons to follow him. So let's ask a question. Why should we follow Christ and not just admire him from afar? Well, verse 24, he says, For whoever should or whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's a paradox there. The word life here in the original language, it's not the, the typical word that you would use for physical body. The Greek word for that is bio. We get our, word, our English word biology. But here he uses a different word word, he uses the word in Greek, it's psych, which we get our English word psychology. It, it's a term that means uh, uh, yourself or your inner life. It, it's your very identity that he's talking about here that you get new. And so when you, when you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, when Christ comes into your life, when you trust in him fully, you receive his spirit, you get a whole new identity. And it's not like he just like sprinkles fairy dust on you and poof, you're a new person, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But what happens is that over time, the gospel invades your heart and you begin to recognize that life is not about making a name for yourself at your job or as a parent or as a student. You recognize that when you lose your life in trusting Christ, when you lose your life in serving Christ and living for Christ, he, you actually gain a new life. You, gain, you, you recognize yourself as, look, my life is, is in Christ. I'm a, I'm a child of God. You receive a whole new life because of it. Yes, you lose your old life, but you receive a new life. The next verse further drives in that same point. Verse 25, Jesus says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or he forfeits himself? So if you go, if, or if you give your life to something in this world, and at the end of your life, you, you, you're able to look back and you say, hey, look what I've accomplished. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I have now. Look, look at all that, that my, look at my legacy. That still won't be enough. I think about like LeBron James. I mean, there may be a day where he catches the ghost of Michael Jordan. He's able to look back on his life and say that I was the best basketball player that ever walked the earth. But it will matter little when he stands before God in judgment. At the judgment, it won't matter how much you have accomplished. It won't matter how much money you have or how much you've bought. It won't matter how successful you are or how happy and successful your kids are. It won't matter how good your grades were or how popular you were. Nothing in this world will be as valuable as your soul on that day. The only thing that will matter is if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and you follow him as Lord. Verse 26, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him 
will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels? In other words, and this one's convicting, if you're embarrassed of me now, Jesus is saying, you're going to be an embarrassment to me when I come back. If you deny me now, I will deny you then. So I hope we understand that the call that Jesus is giving us here in this passage, the, the, the gospel is not simply about the ABCs, okay? We use that as a simple way to explain the gospel to, to kids usually, but we have to understand Jesus is not calling us just to admit, believe, and confess here. The, uh, salvation is free, don't get me wrong. Discipleship is costly. He's calling us to give everything we've got. And over and over, Jesus is going to explain, you'll see this as we walk through Luke together, you're going to see that Jesus tells his disciples to count the cost. Before you're willing to commit to following me, you need to count the cost. Are you willing to be laughed at? Are you willing to be mocked and ridiculed? Are you willing to suffer and even die to follow Jesus? for the joy of following Jesus. And like I said at the very beginning, I'm, I am convinced that we cannot understand this fully, we cannot embrace this fully unless God does a miracle in our hearts. We, we need to be born again. Only the gospel can free us to live out this calling. And it's through the gospel that we receive a new birth, a new, a new self, that, that loves and cherishes Jesus. The, the new birth gives you new eyes, new, a new heart that, that falls deeply in love with Jesus. And, and if you're truly in love with someone, you're going to do crazy things. You're, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're willing to sacrifice for that person. You're willing to give up things for that person. And it's through the gospel that we recognize that we, we've got all the acclamation, we've got all the love that we will ever need in Christ, that he's proven that to us over and over again, especially on the, on the cross, that you recognize through the gospel that, you, you know what, I don't need the world's honor and acclamation. You recognize that you're adopted by God as a child of his. And it's through the gospel that even death becomes an upgrade for us. You, we recognize that we've got a hope of resurrection. And so it's only through the gospel, preaching the gospel to yourself daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes moment by moment. We need, the, the Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon that you've got to be reminded over and over and over of the truths of the gospel. Because it means that, look, if you commit to following Christ the way that he calls us to, I mean, that could mean some pretty radical transformation in all of our lives. It could mean that he, he sends you someplace. That you move to a hard place. Maybe he moves you to Scotland or Africa or Utah or Pittsburgh, inner city. Maybe he challenges you to share the gospel with hard people. He calls you to share the gospel with a Muslim or an atheist or a stranger, 
Or maybe even harder than that, your own family. When was the last time that somebody laughed at you because you're a Christian? That's what I've been convicted of as I've studied this passage. I have not been laughed at nearly enough because I'm a believer. I have not nearly embraced what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage. And yet we, we may not experience a whole lot of physical persecution here in America, but you know what? We, we shy away from being uncomfortable here in America. But he's calling us to, to go further than that. I mean, it, it may cause you to, to get involved in a, a really messy ministry, to reach out to the numerous homeless population that we have here in, in Shepherdsville, or to get involved in the Pregnancy Resource Center, or get involved in the, the, the drug issue that we have in our community. It's going to get messy if you, if you follow this. It's going to get messy. It may cause you to adopt kids, hard children that nobody else wants and live a life that is challenging. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It is so worth it. And I, I guarantee every one of Jesus' disciples, except for Judas, would say the same thing. All of them were, were killed because of their faith, except for John who was just exiled to a remote island. The Apostle Paul was probably the worst. Of, he probably suffered more than any of them. I'll give you a quick, if you don't know the story of Paul, just real quick synopsis. Paul originally was Saul, a Pharisee who hated Christians. He, he persecuted them. He, try, he was trying to kill all of them. But then on his way to Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus appears to him in a, in a vision. And the vision is so brilliant that he's, he's blinded by it. And so Jesus tells him to go into the city and wait for further instruction. And in the meantime, Jesus appears again to another disciple that is already in Damascus. His name's Ananias. And he still tells Ananias, I want you to go and find this Saul. And I, I want you to lay your hands on him and heal him of his blindness. And of course, Ananias has heard of Saul. And he kind of pushes back against Jesus. Jesus, I, I know this guy. He persecutes Christians. You, want, you sure you want me to go to him? And listen to what Jesus says to Ananias. He says, go, for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And he did suffer. He wrote to the church in Corinth and he lists all that he had gone through, the numerous beatings to the point where he thought he was going to die. He was stoned, he was shipwrecked numerous times, afloat on the sea, suffered from hunger and homelessness. And he explains all that. In fact, he says to them that, look, if if this life is all there is, if Jesus is not for real, if, if there is no eternity, if this is all we have, we of all people are most to be pitied, is what he says, because of all the suffering that, that he had endured. And yet he also says that that same church, I love this, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul believed with all of his heart that all the rejection, all the suffering, all, all that he was experiencing only served to prepare for him glory, an eternal reward, that our suffering is light and it's momentary compared to the eternal weight of the glory that awaits us as we get to spend eternity with Jesus. Paul denied himself, picked up his cross daily, and he chose to follow Jesus. And the question each of us needs to ask ourselves is, am I willing to do the same? Because I promise you that Mercy Hill will become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God if we embrace this passage. If we're willing to embrace making ourselves to be a fool for Jesus, not caring about what anybody else thinks or says. And so that starts with us just falling in love with him. Again, you do crazy things for the people you love. And so that's why it's so important for us to be reminded of the gospel every day. That's why it's so important for us to gather and worship the one who was willing to suffer for us. Let's pray. Father, again, we cannot try harder and make and force our hearts to embrace this calling to pick up our cross. We know it is beyond our natural ability to, to trust you and to love you that much. And so we plead with you that your spirit would cause us to, to rid the, the sin that gets in our way of following you. And that you would cause our hearts to so fall in love with you that we would embrace suffering, that we would embrace rejection, that we would embrace ridicule and even death if necessary, that it would cause us as a church to go to the hard places in this world to share the gospel, to go to the hard people, to care for, for difficult people in our own community, to adopt those who nobody else wants, so that you could be glorified. Keep our hearts and our minds focused on eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, communion is, again, a, a reminder of the suffering that Christ went through us. And I want you to spend some time today, don't just walk through the motions, spend time thinking about what Christ went through and what he's called you to. If you're a believer, we encourage you to join us in the celebration. This is also a time that we, we sacrificially and joyfully give so that his mission can go forward. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated to give.